John, you can do this. You just go and you don't look back. I prepared my son to lead humanity in the fight against the machine. On this night, we take back our world! But there was one thing I could never prepare him for. The machines tried to rig the game, send a Terminator back to the time before the war to kill my mother. I'll go back. Let me save her. for you to arrive for over a decade. We. The Terminator. It is nice to meet you. I've been trying to teach him to blend in. I know it needs work. John. Hi, Mom. How can you be here? What are you doing? John! What have they done to my son? Survival is what you taught me. Not machine, not man. No more. I can't leave him. Whatever they did to John, we need a reversal. Everything's changed. We are humanity's last hope. Load up. I've been waiting for you. Get him off me! I'll be back. What? Whoa. That looks awesome. It's coming out next week. I will be seeing that one. I saw the first two Terminators when I was young. I loved them. The last two, I wasn't a big fan, so I'm looking forward to this movie. My name is Matt Sprinkle, and uh, I'm uh, on staff here part-time at Church in the Valley, and I also help out on Sunday. Uh, I'm glad that you're here this week. I'm going to be uh, preaching the message this Sunday and next Sunday. Our pastor Randy is on vacation. And uh, I'm wrapping up the message series that we've been doing called Box Office Wisdom. Over the last couple of weeks and in the summer times, we take a look at the movies that are we think are going to be the most popular films coming out in our culture. And uh, we pull out of the movies the message, the, me- uh, the meaning, the theme. And the reason why we do that is because um, uh, in our culture, um, really just generally in our life, we're always making decisions And we make decisions out of what we think is true and right and good and real, valuable. And where does that come from? Where do you get your ideas of what's true and right and good and real? Well, we get that from our culture. And in our culture, our primary teacher is media, movies, television, books, songs, music. We we get our uh, directions for really what life's all about from the culture we live in. In our culture, that's media. And so uh, we want to make good decisions because sometimes the decisions that we make, they don't work out so well. And what we think is true, what we think is right, what we think is good, it can lead us to prosperity or pain. God loves us and he wants us to, to have the very best kind of life. And so he's revealed to us the truth. And we can find that in the book that he wrote, the Bible. And so what we're doing is we're taking movies. We're pulling out of the movies what it says about a particular part of life. 
and then we're taking a look at the Bible and seeing what it says about the same part of life and comparing the two because we want to make smart choices. We want to make the best possible choices so we can have the best possible life. That's what we're doing. The last couple of weeks, we looked at different movies, and this week we're looking at Terminator Genesis. Uh, if you watch that trailer, what's this movie all about? Courage, strength, power, self-sufficiency. You, know, uh, you got Sarah Connor, Kyle Reese, John Connor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. All of them are bad mamma jammas, right? They're able to save the human race from the coming judgment day. Uh, in this world, there is no God. So if we're going to survive as a human race, it's going to come from the strength, the fortitude, the power, the dig deep of these characters. And so in all the movies we looked at, there's been a tagline that kind of summarizes the major idea. In this movie, the tagline is, I got this. I got this. This movie just drips with I got this. I got this is, is a spirit of independence, self-sufficiency. I have inside of myself the strength, the resources, the skill it's going to take to overcome any obstacle, to achieve any goal. If I set my mind to it, if I believe this, if I give it everything I have, we can save the human race. We can do the great things we, we know we're capable of doing. I got this is a very popular message that's preached throughout our culture in all of the shows and our superstars. We, we love people who kind of walk around with the swagger of, I got this. Arnold is the poster child of I got this. Take a look at this collage of Mr. Schwarzenegger. There he is. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger has got an impressive resume. As far as uh, human beings goes, this guy's done quite a bit. When he was 20 years old, he immigrated from Austria to the United States. And when he was 20, he won Mr. Universe. And then he went on to win it seven more times. In fact, he came out of retirement from acting, trained, and he won Mr. Universe again, just so everybody knew that he still got this. He was a millionaire before he was an actor. I didn't know that. Arnold was a millionaire before he was an actor because he made his fortune in real estate. Turns out that he's a really great businessman. He's got business skills. And then after that, he went on to do 30, 30 plus action movies. And when we think of action, you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's grossed $1.7 billion total. And that's a lot of money that he makes. And you, when you put Arnold in film, you know you're going to make a lot of money. And if that wasn't enough, Arnold Schwarzenegger, just for kicks, became the two-term governor of the largest state in the union, California, that has the seventh largest economy in the world. I mean, every type of thing that a person can do to, to feel like they have the power, the strength, like they've got this, it's Arnold. And he says so. He says so. Here are some quotes from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Listen to what he says. I knew when I was, I knew I was a winner back in the 60s. I knew I was destined for great things. I knew I got this. People will say that kind of thinking is totally immodest. I agree. Modesty is not a word that applies to me in any way, and I hope it never will. Arnold, strong, self-sufficient. I got this. Here's another quote. The mind is the limit. As long as you, as long as the mind can envision the fact that you can do something, you can do it. As long as you really believe it, a hundred percent. I mean, you got to dig deep. You got to believe in yourself. You got to just gut knuckle up, and then you can do what Arnold's done. Here's another quote: The worst thing that I can, uh, that the worst thing I can be is the same as everybody else. I hate that. See, I, I kind of march to the beat of my own drum. I set course for my life. I define who I'm going to be. Don't you want to be like me? Don't you want to do the great things I've done? You've got to dig deep. You've got to believe. You've got to have the I got this spirit. And the last quote is probably the most important. If it bleeds, we can kill it. 
because, you know, Predator, that's a pretty great movie. You know, aliens from another planet show up on Earth and systematically kill a platoon of commandos in the Guatemalan rainforest. As long as Arnold is there, we've got this, right? So Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's a hero, and he embodies this spirit. And the film, Terminator, is dripping with this same spirit of self-sufficiency, independence. You have what you need in yourself to get the job done. And really, that's just one of many types of a bigger idea called individualism. In fact, individualism is the big idea behind all the movies that we've been looking at. We've been looking at different films. They have different taglines. And in your handout, I've included a small uh, chart, which gives you a little bit more information about what individualism is and kind of where the movies we've watched get their big idea from. They're all flowing out of a particular view of life a view that the individual is central, that his will, his desires, his happiness, his goals, that's what life's all about. I don't have time to necessarily go through the whole thing, um, but it is a very powerful message in our culture. And I got this. It flows out of this individualistic worldview that we're being preached all the time in our culture. Depend on yourself. Look to yourself. Be strong in yourself. And the question is really, what's so bad about I got this? I mean, don't we want guys like Arnold? Don't we want more achievers, more successful people, people who are willing to work hard? Isn't that where excellence comes from? I mean, isn't that what the free market's all about? Would we, would we even have the prosperity we have if there weren't people like Arnold that were just, you know, going after it? It's easy to think that this is a very good thing. And it is. Working hard is great. You know, giving it your best is great. But I got this is not just that. It's more than that. I got that. I got that. I got this is really preaching to us a self-sufficiency, a self-sufficiency. It's giving us a picture of the ideal man and woman as a person who is autonomous, who is kind of a person who defines themselves. They give themselves value and worth. And the problem is we were not made for autonomy. We were made for community. And if you don't know your origin story, if you don't know where we come from, it's very easy to just kind of make up your own meaning in life. But if you know your history, if you know your past, if you know where you come from, if you know what God's purpose is for you, for the human race, then within that context, you can really see that I got this. That's not what we're made for. You find out where we're from when you look at the book of the beginnings, the book of Genesis. God has told us what conditions he made us to live in, where we're going to flourish, where we're going to find the things that our hearts and our souls really crave. And we, we find those things in community with God and community with one another. And we had that. That was the conditions that our, our race, the human race, that was the conditions that we started off in. And so I want us to take a look at this snapshot, this picture that God has revealed to us. It's in Genesis 2, 15 through 22. It says, the Lord God, he took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work in to take care of it. <clears throat> and the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. This is the picture. This is what we were made for. So let's, let's take a look at it for just a second. A garden represents wholeness, joy, peace, abundance. A garden is a place where the things that we really want, <clears throat> we have. 
And if you look at the picture that God gives us of where we started off, you see something very important. Man is not central. The story doesn't begin with me. It begins with God. God is the creator. He's the one who placed the man in the good garden. He's the one who gave the man his job. He's the one who provides for the man. He's the one who brought family to the man. God is the one from which good things come. He's a good God who loves us, and he wants to share his love with us. We were made to live in community with God. And if you look at the garden, if you look at what life was like for, our, for, for humanity, you see Adam, the word Adam, the name Adam, it means humanity. All of us were like inside of him, and our race in the garden with him. This is what it was like for us. First of all, we had abundance. We could eat from any tree we wanted, any fruit we wanted. We had abundant provision. We have to work and sweat to feed ourselves and to take care of ourselves and to go at ourselves. God took care of us. And we want that. We want to be secure in our needs and our necessities. Scarcity, I teach economics at the high school in Claremont. Scarcity is the primary motivator for all economic systems. We have scarcity in this world, but not, not the world that God created. That world was a world of abundance. We also see in the garden that we had family. God brought the woman to the man to complete creation. They had together family, and they had family with God. God was the father. He was the one who, who built this family to share his love, and they had meaningful work. Adam was given a job by God. God didn't show up. He said, Adam, I'm going to put you in the garden. I want you to take care of the, gra- the garden, and then I want you to you know, name some animals, and I'll come back in three weeks. You got this. That's not what God did. God was there intimately working with his son. He would bring the animals to Adam. Adam would study them, figure out their nature. And as he did that, he would learn more and more about who God was, how wise God was, how powerful God was, how creative God was. And then together he would name them. And this went on for a long time because it says that he named all the animals. So day after day, week after week, he's getting to know his father. He's walking with his father. God's revealing himself to him. He's taking care of Adam. And then he gave Adam freedom. He put a a tree in the garden. And he said, don't eat this tree. Every day that you don't eat this tree, it will be a statement that you're making of your trust in me. You're saying, I know you're good. I know you love me. I know you're going to take care of me. And I know, God, I know, Father, that you're not holding anything back from me. So I'm not going to eat this tree. It's going to be a symbol of my trust in your good love to me. And every day that he didn't eat that tree, their relationship grew deeper and deeper and deeper. And finally, he gave them a future. Mankind was promised after this, this passage, it says, God told him to be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth. He said, guys, here's what we're going to do. I want you to have lots of kids, lots of babies. And I want you to take this garden that I placed you in. I want you to expand it and expand it and expand it around this entire uncut diamond called earth. And you're going to build civilization and art and culture and government. It's going to be amazing. You're going to work together with your family. We're going to work together uh, with me. This is what the picture is of the ideal human life. This is what God is going to restore you to if you decide to follow Jesus Christ. This is how we are to live. This is where we flourish in community with God and community with one another. One more thing about the garden. It says that they were naked and they felt no shame. Naked means that they were vulnerable, but they felt safe. They were completely exposed to one another. They were known to one another but they felt accepted by each other. They didn't have to cover themselves because they weren't trying to earn it. They weren't trying to to be good enough. They didn't feel dirty. They didn't feel guilty. They could be completely known to each other, completely accepted by one another, completely vulnerable with one another in the original creation. And that's not the world we live in. Why? Because of I got this. 
I got this has caused our present problems. Here's where the story continues. If you look at Genesis 3, 1 through 7, it says that the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said, well, yeah, we can't eat from the fruit of the tree in the garden. And God said that uh, we can eat from any tree, but not the one in the middle, because if we touch it, we'll die. And Satan said, that's nonsense. That's a lie. God's lying to you. You're not going to die. If, if God knows that when you eat that tree, your eyes will be open. He's hiding things from you. The best life, he's hiding it from you. Your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Think how great you'll be. He's trying to keep you down. Don't listen to him. You got this. You got this. Take a bite. It's going to be way better if you go it alone. You don't need to follow him and stay underneath his thumb. You'll be like God. That was what Satan told us. And it says, when the woman saw the fruit, she looked at it and she saw that the fruit was good for food. Well, it does look pretty tasty. And she saw that it was uh, pleasing to the eye. Yeah, that would look really nice in my fruit bowl back home. Right? And she saw it was desirable for wisdom. Think how powerful we'll be if we know what God knows and we see what God sees. We can do what God does. We, we can do this. We got this. We can do this. And so she ate and she gave it to her husband. And it says that he ate and their eyes were open. And when their eyes were open, they weren't closer together. They weren't closer to God. They were torn apart. It says that when their eyes were open, they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves and then they hid in the bushes. And when God came back into the garden and said, Hey guys, where are you? Let's go for our walk. They had hot, they hid from him. You see, our sin, our going alone, our trying to be our own God, our trying to be self-sufficient, us trying to decide, make ourselves central, buying into the I got this idea, is what broke our relationship with each other. We weren't comfortable being exposed, being known anymore. Now we had to cover ourselves. We had to hide because we were known, but we couldn't control the information. And we felt like we we're going to be rejected. So we covered ourselves and tried to make ourselves look presentable. And we hid from God because we were afraid he was going to be angry at us. That he was going to hurt us and he wasn't good. Our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with one another was broken. And that's the world we live in today. And all of us desperately want to be accepted. We want to be known and accepted. We want to be able to feel vulnerable with people and not be hurt. This, this need for acceptance and love is the most fundamental need we feel. We desperately need that. And since the garden, we have been trying to cover ourselves with all sorts of things to make us good enough, to make us feel, feel worthy, feel worth of love and acceptance. Because we've lost that. And we lost that because we bought into the I got this lie. That's not the only problem with it. The other problem with it is, is it creeps into our church. It creeps into our Christian life. And it convinces me that I've got to earn God's love and I have to earn his acceptance. And why wouldn't I think that? I mean, that's the way our world is. This world is built for performance. If you want to get in, if you want to get access, if you want to get opportunity, you better put together a pretty good resume. What's a resume? Some of you are younger, so you may not know what a resume is, but a resume is a list of your merits. It's a list of your accomplishments. It's a list of all the great things you can do and that you've done. And in this world, you better put together a good resume or you're going to be locked out. You're not going to get in. See, we're, we've, we've lost paradise. We're desperately trying to get back into that place of abundance, that place of acceptance and love, that place of rest and wholeness. We want that inside. We crave it and we've lost it. And so we put together these resumes to get it back. And we learn it at every level of our society. We learn it in our families. 
Many of us grew up in homes where mom and dad, they were smiling and they were hugs and it was all happy as long as we were doing good things. But all of us know what sets dad off, what sets mom off. All of us know what gets us locked out, shut out, what it takes to get dad to get angry and explode. Or maybe dad gets all withdrawn and passive and he shuts down and he takes from us the love and acceptance we need. Many of us have grown up in homes like that. So we learn at a very young age that that's how it works. You've got to be good. You better put together a good resume. And then you get hugs and then you get love. Then daddy likes you. That's how God must be. We learn it in school. I'm a teacher. I teach at the high school. I've taught for a decade. I can tell you that my students live in a perpetual state of insecurity and anxiety because what people are asking them, what's your GPA? Did you take AP? Are you in an IB class? Hey, what's your SAT score? You got an ATC score? Do you have any extracurriculars? Are you in any clubs? You know, what's your performance record? If you don't put together a good record, then you don't get in to the good school with all the good opportunities. You better work, you better work, you better do good, otherwise you won't get in. And what this teaches us is that our worth, not just our worthiness, See, worthiness is about whether or not we should get the scarce resource based on what we can do. If we can take that spot and we can do the most good with it, then we should get it. It's it's worthiness. But that's not what we're fighting for. We want worth. We want to feel valuable and lovable. And these things get mixed in our culture. Because we live in an I got this world. We hold up heroes like Arnold who have achieved so much. They're the ones we exalt. And everybody learns the rules in this world. You work, you produce, you resume, and then you get in. You get back into the blessing of the garden. And we learn it in our jobs. We learn it in our families. We we do it with our husbands and wives. Get angry at our wife. We shut down on her because she didn't give me what I wanted. She didn't do what I wanted. She didn't follow my resume rules. Same thing on the other side. We lock ourselves out. We beat ourselves up. We condemn ourselves if we fall short of our resume. What's that for you? When do you feel good, strong, acceptable? You feel like you could run up to God and be like, look at what I've done. Bless me. Hear me. What is that? What's your righteousness? What makes you feel good enough? What is it that you feel horrible about? When you've screwed up this way, when you've done that again, you feel like, oh, God, God is going to be so pissed. He's never going to want to see me. Yeah, Daddy loves you. Sure, he loves you. He's going to feed you. He'd probably die for you, but he doesn't like you right now. We want to be liked by God. We lost that. Resumes get it back. And so we believe the church is like that. We think that's true about this, this church, Church in the Valley. I can't get real with you people. If you knew what I did last summer, if you knew the sin, the addiction in my life, if you knew how, how my wife and I were not doing good, or I'm not a good parent, or if you knew about how bad my family, my family's a train wreck right now, and if you knew that, you, you would reject me. So I got to... Always put on the happy face. Always pretend like I'm doing great. Because if I get real, you will push me out. If you see the truth about my resume, you'll reject me. I can't believe that's true about a church. If God doesn't love me unconditionally, his people don't. And so we never get close. We never plug into the church. We we, we always keep ourselves at a distance. We could be here for years at Church in the Valley. We could be in groups, we could be on teams, but there's a wall that nobody ever gets around. And the reason why, at a fundamental level, is because we're afraid that if you see the truth about me, you will reject me. We need to feel acceptable, and we've lost it. And so we try to resume our way back. And this poisons the church. And I got this 
it, it inflames this problem. It makes us feel like Arnold, LeBron, whoever, these are the guys who get in. I've got to work harder. And you know what? I struggle with that. I remember I wasn't a community group leader one time. I, 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 I was in group training and I was doing all the right things and I didn't get chosen to be a community group leader. Somebody else got chosen. And it rocked my world. I was so f- upset. I felt, I felt bad. I felt like I lost my salvation. Why? Because the truth is, I felt okay, not because God's love for me in Christ, but because of my position in this group. And I felt like I was losing my spot. You ever felt like that? Do you know what that feels like? This message... I can't tell you how many times I've gone round and round and round and rewritten it, rewritten it, rewritten it. Why? Because, because you've got to think, wow, that was a great sermon he did. Because if I don't get those strokes, well, I don't have any worth. Because my worth is tied to your acceptance and your conditional love. That's not true. That's not Christianity. The gospel is not Jesus cleans my past and he gives me a blank slate today. And moving forward, I better rock, you know, walk really good and do all the right things. Otherwise, I'm rejected. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And this is a struggle that we struggle with that goes all the way back to the beginning. In fact, the Apostle Paul struggled with this in all the churches that he started. I want us to read Philippians 3, 4 through 9, where he talks about it. In Philippians 3, 4 through 9, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to a church in Philippi. Philippi was a place that was founded by Alexander the Great's daddy, Philip. And years later, Paul was traveling through there, and he started a church. And after he left and he went on, He found out that there were some guys that were coming behind him. These I got this men who were trying to convince these Christians that God wasn't going to love them unless they obeyed all the rules, unless they were circumcised. He called them the circumcision. And if you weren't following the Mosaic law, well, then, boom, you should be kicked out of the church. And he was trying to tell this church, this is not the truth. This is a lie. And so here's what he said. It's kind of fun. He said, if you think that you have reasons to put confidence in your flesh. If you think you can say, I got this, I, I can say, I got this. You want a resume? Here's my resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You know what that means? I was born a Jew. I'm not a convert. Of the people of Israel. My mom and dad are Jewish. I don't have a Greek father or a Greek mother. I have a purebred Jewish family. Of the tribe of Benjamin. You see, we all know, because he's talking to, some people are Jews, he's talking to, there was a northern kingdom in Israel and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, totally unfaithful to God. The southern kingdom, they were faithful to God. I'm from the southern kingdom. I'm from the good part of the family. A Hebrew of Hebrews. That means my family, we weren't just Jews on the outside. We were Jews on the inside. We spoke Hebrew at home. We weren't polluted by the Greek culture around us. You see, a lot of Jews had become Hellenized. They had become like the Greeks that they lived with. And Paul is saying, at my home, we spoke Hebrew. We did Hebrew. We were serious Hebrews. And in regards to the law, my education, my training, my upbringing, my skill sets, I'm a Pharisee. I have a triple PhD from Cambridge and Harvard. I'm the top guy in my class. My teacher is the best. I'm on the fast track to success. I could be the leader of Israel in a couple years. And as for zeal, how hardcore am I? How much do I love Judaism? I, I would persecute the church. Some Pharisees would be like, dang, those Christians, they're a real problem. I would be out in towns, arresting them, dragging them back to Jerusalem so they'd be stoned. That's how committed I was. How committed were you? You want to play the resume game? This is my resume. Finally, as for righteousness based on the law, 
faultless. I followed all the rules. Every one of those 613 Old Testament laws, all of them I followed. So if you want to play resume, this is my resume. And you would think that if God loved anybody, it was Paul. He's basically saying, folks, I am the Jewish Arnold Schwarzenegger. You think you you got this? I got this. But here's what he said. This is all crap. Literally. That's what he says. Excrement. All this working, all this resume talk, all this trying to be good enough, all that stuff is crap. Read the next passage. But whatever were my gains... To me now, I consider a loss. They're all loss. I used to think it got me gains, but this is actually a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, excrement, crap, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul is saying, I know the game you're playing. I know what it means to work hard and try to earn love and try to gather sinking sand to stand up and get in. And then it crumbles under your feet and then you try to do more good things so you can build a platform and then you can, you can maybe get in and then it crumbles under your feet. I know that life. I know the resume game. I have a resume and it's horrible. It alienates me because I never feel good enough for people. What'd you do this week, Paul? Great. What are you gonna do tomorrow? Andrew Carnegie, some of you know him, he's a steel tycoon. He made a lot of steel back in the day. He used to put a steel broom on top of the, the burner that made the most steel that day. He had like 15 um, pear-shaped furnaces in a row, and they had teams of like 20, 30 guys per pear-shaped furnace. And whoever produced the most, the most steel that day got the broom on top. And he would always say to his managers when they would come in and say, look how much steel we made today. He'd say, that's great. What are you going to make tomorrow? That's how we feel in this world. That's a great resume. What else have you done? Think about how hard it's going to be for Arnold. All of his best action movies are behind him. He can't be the governor again. He's already made his millions. He's never going to be Mr. Universe again. I I hope that Arnold Schwarzenegger has joy and peace. I hope he gets to know the Lord and he experiences the love of God. But if he doesn't, it's going to be a nightmare. You know that's true. Paul is saying, I live that life, I'm done with that life. Why? Why is he done with that life? What did he discover? He says, because of the surpassing greatness, the great thing, in Greek, it's the super thing. I found the super thing. What's the super thing that he found that frees us from this life of earning and resumes? He found Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say this. He says, I found Jesus Christ. Can you... um, Uh, Yeah, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He's saying, I don't have a resume that's going to get me in with God. And I know that and you all know that. He's saying, I'm a sinner. Yeah, we all agree I'm a sinner. Everybody agrees they're sinners. People aren't Christians, uh, not because they don't believe in sin. People aren't Christians because they want to earn it with God. They believe in their righteousness. And Paul is saying, I realize that I don't have any righteousness that's going to get me back into that garden. And no matter how hard I work, I can't get in with people. I can't hold on to acceptance and love from people. I don't have righteousness of my own that comes from my own record. But you know what I do have? I've found a righteousness that comes from God. God has given me from heaven a resume that's going to get me in. And that resume is Jesus Christ. 
Here's what I mean. All of us have applied to a job for the most part in our folder, our resumes inside. Well, let's look at some resumes. This is, this is the resume of Jesus Christ. It's big. Perfectly obeyed the laws. He loved his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every moment of every day was spent in loving fellowship and worship and service to God and to man. He perfectly lived the life that God wants for all of us. Perfectly. What does he deserve? He deserves reward. He deserves love. He deserves acceptance. He deserves a big fat approved on his resume. Let's look at another resume. My resume. It's much shorter. And when you look at my resume, if you compare me to you, I might be better, I might be worse. But when you compare me to God and what God wants for me, oh gosh. What do I deserve for my life of self-worship, my idolatry? I've made myself my God way more than I've ever made God my God. I work for myself. I'm proud. I blow up. I get angry. I'm, you just list all this. We all know how bad. We, we know that our righteousness isn't sufficient to earn it back with God. What does this guy, what does Sprinkle deserve? Well, if you read the Bible, if you read what God intended, what God expected, the consequences, punishment, death, I deserve eternal separation from God. I deserve a big fat condemned on my resume. All of us do. And here's what God did. He didn't say, okay, get out there, work real hard, get some good pluses in that plus column. You got a lot of minuses, get some pluses there. That's religion. That's not Christianity. That's I got this. That is not Jesus Christ. Here's what God did. He said, Jesus Christ. Oh, there's a folder. He said, I want you to take Matt's resume. So Jesus Christ took my resume and then he said, give your resume to Matt Sprinkle. And now when God looks at me, this is what he sees. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ when he looks at me. And that's what he sees when he looks at you. And when he sees you in Christ, he cannot smile any bigger. He can't get any more excited to see you. Not because of your works. This is your works. And Christ, what does Jesus get? He gets our death. He gets our judgment. He gets our hell. Jesus Christ drank down everyone's cup of hell on the cross. He took what we deserved. We got what he deserves. And Paul said, I found it. I I figured it out. I have righteousness. I can get in. Finally, I'm secure in my relationship with God. And when you live in a community, a church of people who have been forgiven by God, who have their righteousness in Christ, who know the love of God is secure, you can be real with people. You can be open and honest because it's not going to cost you anything. You're not afraid you're going to be rejected because the person you love the most, God the Father, accepts you. And if you have him, what could go bad? You can be yourself because it's never going away because your righteousness is secure in Christ. Paul said, I found it. Can you put the verse back up? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God. God gave this to us as a gift in his son. Do you want that? Are you done with the resume game? Are you a Christian who, when you first became a Christian, you believed this, but now it's just up here. It's not in here. You're still earning it. You're still trying to be good enough. You're still trying to put on good faces in church in the valley. 
You're pulling back because they, you don't want to let them see how bad it's going. Do you show up to God whenever you're feeling good, holding up your resume, saying, look, look what you owe me. Why haven't you given me a good life? Look at how good I've done. Do you back away from God when you feel like you sinned? Are you ready to stop riding that roller coaster of insecurity and come back into the garden, the community, the life of abundance? You can have that. Christian, non-Christian, if you will repent not only of your sin, but repent of your righteousness, you can have the love of God today, tomorrow, and forever. This is his gift to you in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul found. How do we do it? We re- replace our resume. We trade our resume with Jesus Christ. Trade your resume. You can do that right now. It's free. Freely drink of living water. You also, after that, you, we want to get to know Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why I struggle with holding on to this, I've been a Christian since 2001, but I still struggle to believe it, is because sometimes I don't spend much time with Jesus Christ. I don't spend much time in his word. I don't read it. I don't hear him preach this to me. You've got to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You've got to allow the Lord to tell you the gospel every day. Otherwise, you slip back into the I got this life because you're swimming in an I got this world. How do you hold on to the love of God so that you run boldly to God all the time? How do you do it? You've got to spend time with God and his word. Number two, you've got to plug into the church because we forgive each other because we're forgiven. We love each other because we're loved. We accept each other because we're accepted. We're not judging one another here because all of us have a resume that comes from Christ. And when you live in a community of people, when you plug into a church, when you really open your life to people and let them see you and they they know you, when you lay down the fig leaves and you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you're trusting in Christ's righteousness. And then you experience you experience the community that you were meant for with, with your fellow man and with God. That's what it takes. That's for you today. I want to finish by reading to you a, a short hymn written by a man named Augustine. In 1776, he wrote Rock of Ages because he knew what it was like to live and I got this world. But then he encountered Jesus Christ and he realized that he had a resume from Christ that made him good enough for God. And here's the song that he wrote. It's beautiful. It captures the essence of what we have to hold on to. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin a double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow all for sin It could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, I come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to thee for grace. Foul, I I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I'll die. You don't have to die. You can have this. If you have never accepted Christ, if you never repented of your righteousness, pray with me. If you're a Christian who's been around a long time and somehow you've gotten back into I got this and you're trying to earn it, pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we admit that we don't have righteousness. There's nothing that earns your love. But you have given us righteousness by sending your son to live the perfect life. And not only that, but to to pay the price for our horrible life. He took the cross. He took our hell. He took our rejection. And we get his love, his acceptance. We get the garden. 
Father, we open our arms to you and we receive the love that you give us in Christ. We ask that you would grab hold of us and that you would give us faith to grab hold of you. In Jesus' name. I'd like you to take out your connection card. On the connection card are a couple next steps. You can read through those next steps. If you committed your life to Christ right now, if you decided for the first time to accept Christ as your Savior, please let us know. Let us know what it is that you're going to be working toward and we'll pray for you. And you can put that in the offering at the end. Thank you.